I don't like it when kids say, oh yeah, but you know, you're not my dad anyway. No, 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 no. Listen, if someone is stepping up to play a role that, I guess maybe for me it's a lot easier to say because my biological father passed away and then someone stepped up to fill his role. Um, but if you can see it two ways, one, you've got two dads. Yeah, you've got your biological father and it might not have worked out with your mom or you've, they've had to go their separate ways, which is what society is now at the moment. Um, you've got one on one side and you've got another one who is number one, trying to be a great partner for, you, for your mum and once they get to know you and wants to play a pivotal part in how you grow as a person so you've got you've got two and you can always draw and this is how I see it you can always draw experiences from um, from both of them You're listening to Journey to Fatherhood a podcast that inspires and equips men to becoming more intentional and feeling more supported on the journey to fatherhood. Why wait to become a father before learning how to be a good one? My name is Chinidum Wenayo, a young man also on his journey with a desire to help men become great fathers despite their past personal experiences. I'll be sitting with different guests to bring you great value, sharing their knowledge and their experiences as we all embark on this amazing journey. This podcast, though targeted towards men, ladies, you will also gain great value from the conversations. Now, without further ado, let the journey begin. Hello, good morning, guys. Thank you. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Thank you for joining us today. Welcome again to another episode of Journey to Fatherhood. And before we even go further today, I just want to review what happened last week. Last week was amazing because we got a lot of responses talking about how important this conversation is, a lot of people being blessed by it, but also now challenging others to have a conversation. Last week, we talked about finance and fatherhood. I definitely learned so much, even through the call and through the podcast. But today we have an amazing guest because what we try to do is make sure that we have a wide variety of experiences and input. And today I want to introduce you to an amazing friend of mine. We've known each other for years now. We've worked together for a while. And his name is none other than Asa Lutu, a great friend of mine. Asa has been doing amazing things. He's ex-professional footballer. He played professional football at a point and then he started working with the youth. Right now, he's also working in education, and he's going to tell you a bit more. So without taking too much of the shine, Asa, tell us about you, bro. Uh, thank you. Thank you for the introduction. Um, yeah. The ex-professional football part. I know everyone likes talking. Uh, I was more of a development scholar, just to, just to clear it up. But it, it's good. It's good. Um, I've worked more in professional football as a, a backroom staff member, more than yeah. anything. Um, so that's why I guess people always think, oh, yeah, ex-professional football player when I mention my teams. But it was more so in the, in the backroom staff where um, things really took off for me um, in that sense, in the professional game. Um, yeah, and then, as you mentioned, we've worked together um, mm. together in the past. So I know we did a, a year at City Year. A year at City Year. <laughs> yeah, City Year. Where we worked with a lot of youth. And I guess that's where... This is where the conversation will probably start, you know, um, mm. with the terms of how I then started to approach fatherhood and my mentality around fatherhood started changing based on just that year that we, we had together and working with the young people that we did. 
you know, um, since then I've been in touch with a few of them and a few of them have been in contact with me, um, even their family members. Um, there's a few stories, few good ones, and then a few that, you know, just need to cover these young people in prayer, which is always important. So um, I don't know if that answers that question a bit about Listen, me. Yeah. But, you know, um, yeah, and now just training to be a teacher, which is going well, six weeks away yeah. from finally being qualified, which is going to be an amazing blessing. I can, you know, bless the youth for a bit more and show them different pathways, you know, with everything that I'm doing, as you know, as well. Um, got a second book out, well, second self-published book out as well, which mm -hmm. again stems from, which is probably going to lead again this conversation about fatherhood, which is, which is important, I think. Absolutely. So now to just keep it, Asa and I, we started working, when was it? Was it 2004, um, 2016, 16, 16 to 17. Yeah. That's what, four, three, three, four years ago. And it's gone so quick. But what we did was actually, was, so City Year, for those that don't know, City Year is a charity, non-profit organization that aims to send mentors or volunteers, volunteers that are mentors into schools mm -hmm. to work with young people. So it could be from primary school to secondary school. So we had the privilege of doing that for a year and we happened to work in the same school, the school in, um, in Hackney. And the experience was amazing because it was literally like a full-time job. If anything, it was a full-time job. It was a full-time job, yeah. It was a, a full-time job. So you come when school starts and sometimes you're even expected to come before students come. You actually expected to come before students come. And then you see them through to after school and you run after school clubs. And of course, Asa being the amazing guy that he is, he took up the football one. And I think it was amazing because one thing I have to tell you that I never told you this, but I really envied how the older, older kids were closing up to you. I don't know if it's a height difference thing, but they felt <laughs> so comfortable with you. And I was like, rah, okay. Because without the, without the jacket, I looked like another student during those times. But it was one of the things where I started to notice that it wasn't just because of the height, it wasn't just because of the way you carry yourself, but the things you said. And what I started noticing with a lot of, even my mentees that I was working with that would speak to Mr. Lutu, as they called you, they started to understand that not only did you have the experience, but you were able to translate it into a message. So most people would just say, okay, this is what I did, this is what I did, this is what happened to me, this is what but most people were not able to turn into a message to now guide people. Mm. So that was an amazing thing that all you always had. You, you're a man beyond your years. You just have that wisdom and ability to communicate. So I just want you to kind of, what was your experience? Just, I'll, I know we've talked about it a lot, but what was your experience with City Year and just that mentorship role? City Year was, you know, for people that know me, from early, I said, working in a school, no go. Like, I'm, mm. I'm, I don't see myself in a school where there's full-time, part-time, mentoring, anything. I just didn't see it. And there was a point in my life, you know, where things weren't going the way I wanted it to go. Um, I just recently had, well, at that point, I just recently was overcoming a, a mental health battle where I thought I achieved all my dreams, all my goals, and I was like, I was there. Like, I reached the top. And I was like, where do I go next? Like, I've reached the stage that I wanted to reach. Everything I've prayed for, it's right there. It's in my face. But there was something missing. So, um, yeah, I reached out to City Year. Actually, when I had my interview, I was abroad at the time still. So when I was working in the Middle East, I was still there, had my interview. 
And they're like, yeah, we're ready to take you on for next year. Um, so did that, had to come back to London to do a few more, you know, the, 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 I think the maths test and the, the, the English oh, yeah. test that we did, yeah. So did that. And just through the summer, I was just preparing myself, like, what's, what's it actually going to be like? So I went in with, a, with an open mind, like, I'm just going to take my experiences, see how it is, you know. People always have attached this stigma to, to schools that are, you're going to get treated poorly and <laughs> you're not really needed. But, you know, just from the first few weeks, just shadowing students and seeing their experiences, I was like, there's a need for us, you know. Absolutely. There's a hunger and a desire for people like us, people in their likeliness, people that look like them, to show them a different pathway, to showcase different abilities. So I think just through conversations again with my young people, I was just like able to understand and reflect. And I think um, I, was, I was having a similar conversation with, with a friend yesterday that said, although I do so many different things, you know, I write books or I do the work in professional football or uh, I work at schools. My key skill is being able to connect with people. I like to connect with people. And yeah. even during the time where we're quarantined, um, this is May, by the way, we're still in quarantine for those <laughs> that are listening. Um, <sighs> I like to connect with people and, you know, having that, that ability to... Um, you know, string things together. So yeah. whether it's their experiences and finding a middle ground where I've, I've experienced something that's similar, but mm. not entirely the same, but I'm able to draw from their experiences and find ways that we can guide their journey or connect dots or help them move forward, you know, and it's just something I've learned throughout the years, just growing up how I am. So yeah, the school experience was, that CEA experience, you know, definitely opened my eyes and the young people, you know, definitely changed the way I saw a lot of things in life as well yeah like I think I think you couldn't have said it even better but I, I, I just want to key in on something you said that you were talking about how you were able to you just like being able to relate communicate with people whether it was with the students something that there's some experience that was similar so for me it was one of those things where I think that's what's so unique about the program yes there were things that weren't so great in terms of the running of things outside of it but that was what was unique because we were able to connect with the students. And at the time, mm. the age, age um, from in terms of volunteers were from about, I believe, 18 to about 24. That was 18 to 25, 26, 24. Yeah. 24 yes. So with that, a lot of the students were feeling, I had the impression, or they told, they expressed that it was because they didn't feel like we were old, that mm. we could actually understand them. and. I'll be honest, even through that year, I found out more about myself than I thought I knew. Absolutely. I, and I mean that so much because I, start, I started to look at myself, some of the kids, some of the more difficult kids or difficult situations that I was working on with some of the students started making me realize, wow, this could very much have been me hmm. if someone or something wasn't put in place to help me direct my path properly. And it was just one of those things that through that year, I started to become more patient, more understanding, being more holistic in terms of the way I think. So I don't know, what was your, in terms of relating to that specific point, what was your kind of feedback on that? Yeah, similar, you know, for me, it was, I love to reflect and I love mm. to take time to, to grow. So, cause if I'm, so if I'm able to grow, I'm able to help other people grow. And for me, a lot of, the reflection took place on a Sunday when I would just go to church. 
and I'd oh, yeah. sit there on a Sunday and I would cover, you know, the whole team, the staff, the young people, mm. all in prayer so that I'm able to then go into an environment, you know, the environment was, was challenging, as you know, the school <laughs> that we had, it was challenging. Yeah. Um, but being able to have that one day where you're able to just slow everything down and just reflect on how you can then move move forward again and do better than you did last week. I'm also very competitive, so I always wanted to do better than I did last I week. Know. And also, you know, working with yourself and the, and the team, like, I think yeah. it was more so not just an individual thing. I know we all had our individual strengths and everyone was always like, oh, I wish I could do what that person did and did what that person did. We all bought our individual talents as a collective. And I think even going into different schools, I'm always thinking City Year was just different because although <laughs> I've worked in great PE departments as I'm working, training to be a PE teacher, yeah. it was, it's nothing compared to the City Year experience. You know, we bought different qualities and then we were able to come together, you know, on the Fridays, think about what happened during, during the week. We were able to have those team meetings, which again is powerful. Something mm. I know when I get into a leadership role is something I'll try to implement for sure. Because having those regular catch-ups, even on a day where you're sitting around the table, so what was a great thing that happened today? What do you think you could have done better today? Just even if it was just one minute or you're sharing for like 10 seconds, I know for some people it got tedious. But it was actually bringing us together and strengthening mm. the team, especially when times were difficult or we lost a team member because they had an operation, you know, and we're stretched. Yeah. We're, we're able to draw, draw nearer to each other. Um, so, yeah, definitely made me change my approach. I know at the start I was a bit, a bit rigid. Some of the students were like, sir. Like you, you had this screw face. I didn't know how to approach you. I didn't know, I didn't know who you uh, were. You started, started off as like Mr. Stormzy and you Mr. know Stormzy, this, this person that was um, just all about reinforcing the rules. And then mm. as we got to know you, you still reinforced the rules, still had boundaries, but you were more approachable. And that that was what I needed to learn. You know, as much as I'm approachable, I need to find boundaries that are relevant for each individual I set boundaries so high for everybody that mm. some people couldn't access me but then when I started relaxing boundaries and setting different boundaries for different people different people had different levels of access which worked for them which is yeah. one of the important skills I've, I've learned and going forward uh, it's yeah powerful I think I think I think this is so important because I, currently right now you know one of my mentees that I'm still working with mm -hmm. um recently had a conversation with a parent and he's going through that phase where he's 15 now. He's going through that phase where he's just struggling to just maintain his own identity. There's a lot of influences everywhere and not so positive. So very negative influences. And of course the school's not helping because he's almost been marginalized. And you know, the story, he was moved out of the school we're working, um, working in and then moved to an SEN school because they felt that he had SEN related um, diagnosis and not knowing that it was just, I started to discover it wasn't any of that. It was just being understood and being given a chance, mm -hmm. which a lot of, unfortunately is a lot of the case for students that get managed moved to either centers or SEN schools. There are some that legitimate diagnosis, but some are just matter of behavior that needs to be corrected or supported. So, for me, that just brings me into this thing. Uh, what's your one highlight or one 
experience with a student that made you go, wow, things need to change? Wow. I know there's um, many. There's exactly that. There's, there's a lot. Um, whew, to pick one, I think just how they're, how they're treated. Um, the one experience was one of my pupils wrote a very powerful passage. You know, I think at the time, the student in question was in year nine and wrote a powerful passage on how black people were treated in schools and in, in the wider public. And I thought, wow, you're in year nine. So what we're saying, 13, 14? And you're thinking like this already, you know. Um, and that for me was the moment where I said, anything I do forward, I've got to represent these young people in the best light possible. I've got to be someone where I know I've put this burden on myself, but something I, I need to do something that will enable them to be the best that they can be without having so many barriers put before them. And that's when, you know, the idea for the book, uh, being able to create a platform where they can express themselves, where they don't feel limited in their capabilities, um, birthed really um it was through these conversations through these moments where we were sharing you know like you know bearing in mind these are kids under the age of 16 and the level of conversation i know you know yourself through uh, when we had our where we had our what was it called our mentorship program with the the year 11 boys that we had just through those conversations which i know we probably will touch on in a little while you know, just through those conversations, bearing in mind these boys, well, these boys and girls are under 16 and mm. the level of information that they have in their head and sometimes they feel so limited in what they can do. That's when, you know, that's one of those moments where I thought something needs to change and in order to change, you have to be in that system to allow the change to come through. So, yeah, that would be, for me, not to diverge into any other, that would be the mm. one, you know, one scenario. Because that person, that, that student wasn't then able to share that information. Um, other people around said, it's too, it's too harsh, it's, it's too powerful, it's going to frighten people and it's going to put a target in your back. Not necessarily with those words, but that's what, it said, that's what they said. They're going to have a different opinion of who they think you are. So yeah. they're going to start putting, categorizing you and putting you in a box. It's powerful, keep it to yourself, but write something else because I think they were writing a speech for Speak Out and they were writing on, again... Oh, the yeah, the Speak Out Challenge. Yeah, yeah. Um, and they said, no, it's too powerful, like, you've got to change it. And these are people that... Had other black people who said, it's too powerful for you to write, you can't, you can't express this. And I thought, no, the student felt the need to write it, they need to express it, but no, 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 you've got to change it. And that's when I thought, things do have to change. Like, you can't limit this young person because you think the system is going to play against her. She might have to experience that. And I know they were trying to do it from a protection thing, but then in her mind, when she grows up, oh, now I've exposed who she is, when she grows up, she might feel limited or she might say, actually, I can't do that because this person is going to feel this way or this, this group of people might might put a target on my back and I can't express certain things, you know, that's when things needed to change. And yeah, that was, I'll say that. 
it's it's interesting because I think, like you said, um, there's so many experiences. I was thinking of, about a few other, but that what you just expressed there is an amazing example as well because it talks about how often, how much are kids allowed to express themselves through the mm. developmental stages. And even looking back, I think there was one particular student I told you, I don't know if I told you exactly, but he was in year nine as well. And when we started, he was one of my mentees, one of my more difficult mentees, as they said. When he started, of course, you want to get to know the kid, the student and ask them, what do you want to be when you grow up? Similar questions like that. And his response was, sir, it's either rap or trap. Mm. And I asked him again, I thought he was joking because his friends were around, but he said that that's exactly what it is because his cousin was affiliated with a, a group that of course had negative, impl- um, negative influences in the community. And he had, a, he had a history of family relatives that were involved in that sort of affiliation. And it was scary because that was also the, I, um, the perception that teachers had about the student. Whilst of course, he wasn't the more, he wasn't the aggressive type. It was just that he was very reserved. He didn't say too much. And then a lot of teachers would think that, oh, he's just thinking very negatively, he's about to do this. So I categorize him and all of those things. And longer short of it was that when we went back for the 11, year 11 graduation or and last results day, mm. he, and I asked him the same question, so what do you want to do? And to this day, when I think about it, I was speaking to a friend about it yesterday, it still touches my heart because over two, three years, he now changed from rap or trap to music engineer or a businessman. So he now went into, he now went to sixth form to now to do business, business, um, business management. Mm. So that's what he's going to be doing. He's doing a level three or I think level three or level four business, um, business management, business course. But it's amazing to see the transformation, but it was because people gave him the chance. And of course, a lot of things happened within that year for that to come to fruition. But it was just, seeing that because most of the time we only get to see the input we give we don't see the output that comes from it but to be able to witness the start from the first conversation regarding career and future ambitions to now seeing where his mindset was at and he started disassociating himself from a lot of people although he talked about how they called him all sorts of words in terms of trying to emasculate him and all of that but he took that stand because he now wanted to see more and to this day, that's my biggest motivation when it comes to young people, especially in education. They just need someone to give them that chance to express themselves. And what, just even with that, because you said a, something very nice as well when you, earlier when you were talking about what also helped you was when you could relate with the students. So bringing that back, what was your experience then? So my experience in terms of what would you say in ter- what what sort of experience what, that teenage what experience? that that teenage developmental stage and in education if you would teenage Ooh. so yeah it was challenging it was you know as i look back through the years it was something that was i think needed for me at the time so yeah. for me it was a case of when i was growing up um both my parents were home, very present, which was which was great. Um, and then going to school, I had a group of friends. So I went to a school. I'm gonna I'm gonna break down the school and why I think this is important to have a context. 
in my year group, when I started, the school was predominantly, I would say, there were more black people in the school in the older years. As I started becoming the older year, yeah. it started to change. So in my year group, so we're just gonna, I'm just going to take my year group. In my year group, I'm going to say there was maybe about 13, that's probably the highest I'm going to go, 30 black people in total. And then the majority were, were Asian kids. And so when you have that dynamic, you're already split into groups. So the Asian community will predominantly stay with the Asian community. The white community would predominantly stay with the white community. There were some that would go in between. And then the black community will stay within the black community. And that's, and that's how it worked. I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I'm just saying that's how it worked. Gravitate and to me, it. yeah, you just gravitate towards your own people, people that look like you, people that might sound like you, might like similar music to you. But in reality, I probably had a lot more in common with people in different groups hmm. than people in my own group. But yeah. that's something you learn as you grow and you mature. So not everyone, but predominantly the way black people are viewed and the stereotypes, you gravitate towards this image of, you have to be aggressive. You have to look a certain way. You have to conduct yourself in a certain manner. You have to, you have to be this, or you have to be that. And then it also came from the top down. So people would think, again, teachers would think, oh, well, he's not going to amount to anything. Again, something I've always spoken to, to young people about. My teach, my own, some of my own teachers didn't think I would amount to much just because of the people I was around. Um, I had... A lot of my friends were into football, so I was into football because my friends were into football. But then a few mm. others were into music, so I was into music. So again, from early on, I was in lots of different things. And then I had friends who just liked girls. So I was like, yeah, I'm, you know, <laughs> the girls are where it's at. So, you know, yeah. for me, again, I was looking at through my yearbook the other day and my, my caption or my slogan underneath my picture was football, music, girls and money. Because that, <laughs> that was it. That, that was it, you know. That was all I wanted to be about. I didn't Four want categories. nothing else. You know, I didn't, want any, I didn't want anything else. But then you have, in order to, to get that money mm. or to do that, you need to be, at that time anyway, what was glamorized was you need to have a certain lifestyle. And I try to, again, as I said to young people, I'm not going to say, yeah, I was part of a gang. No, what I wanted to do was be part of a gang because that's where people gravitated towards that's where the girls gravitated towards and I wanted the girls I didn't want anything I didn't want no drama or whatever I didn't care about all of that I wanted the girls and I wanted the, the status but you have to do certain things to get the status so that's how I was able to relate and talk to the young people like there's a certain attraction to certain lifestyles and again it went it went south and that's when I realized you know what you've either got to pick something you've got to pick something to follow um the story again is when all my friends abandoned me for what they perceived as me snitching on people and betraying my own friends to, to cover my own back. Um, again, a deeper story. But for that, it was what it was at the, situ at the time it happened. I guess it sort of split the group afterwards as well. And then from that, I learned, you know what, first of all, to keep myself to myself. But then I was starting to uh, find myself in different circles. So I didn't keep myself in just my community. I started spreading myself out and mixing with other people. And that's when I started to learn and grow. Oh, 
So this person actually from this community likes what I like and we can talk about this and we could talk about that. And it sort of gave me a ground base of, you know, this is how I can relate to other people. Again, it started from school where you were limited in what you can do. And then you start talking to people from different cultures saying, actually, why are you following that pathway? You know, we had a, a one Asian teacher, I can't remember his name for the life of me. and. Um, he did an, a powerful assembly, which then opened my eyes in terms of, <clears throat> at the time we thought it was an attack. Oh, excuse me. <clears throat> <clears throat> at the time we thought it was a, <clears throat> my voice is breaking up now. Whoa. Um, at the time we thought it was an attack on the black community. But in fact, what he was doing was teaching us a, a valuable lesson that mm. this gang life that is being glamorized is not where it's at. <clears throat> yeah you can achieve so much more with everything that you're doing in this school and what you can take out of it. You're in a great school. At the time, I think my school was within the top 100 in the country. Um, so they like, he was trying to get into our heads. Don't waste this time that you have because you've seen it happen before. People from the older years, um, a few of them were on the news, like there were a lot of stabbings, especially when I was like in year seven, year eight, and he did this assembly. I think when we're in year 10, because um, again, as you said earlier, when you're in that age range from 15 to 14, you're trying to find your identity. You're trying to find your feet. Mm. What do I want to do? Um, so his assembly came at the right time. So I think having that exposure was what helped me to, to relate. I think also just being empathetic. I yeah. think, again, that developed through the situation that I told you beforehand where um, people thought I betrayed them for my own personal interest, which was far from the truth, but you know, we move. Um, you learn that empathetic skill and you learn how to relate to people and you learn those people skills, you're able to then, you know, cause you've lost your group of friends that you've, you've been in school together with what, yeah. three, four years. And then all of a sudden they, they cut ties with you. You have to adapt. So um, learning to get into different circles and different cultures and having those conversations. So again, the schooling and again, which I then bring back to the start, which was, remember, there was 30 black people, give or take. And then with the majority that were Asian, I was able to then work with different people from different cultures, which gave me that skill set. Actually, you need to be able to relate. It's not, you're not just going to work with the people in your circle. You need to work with everybody, whether it's black, white, Asian, you know, we need to come together and we can all learn different things from each other. So that's what helps me to relate. Um, Again, for people listening, thinking, oh, I'm only talking about I related to the black kids. No, there were the school that we worked in. I related to the girls. I related to the boys, whether they were Anyone from the Turkish community, um, whether they were from the black community, Asian community. Um, I think just having that ability to relate to different people was, was one of the things that, that I brought to, to the party, to the group. Um. But yeah, I think that's that's so important because what you just kind of showed there is, I, I really like what you talked about, the p- pressures. I think you said your love it was um, music, money, um, what was it? Girls and football. Girls football, and football. music, girls and money. <laughs> that order. Well, the money was peas, but I, I had to formalize it a little bit. <laughs> but it, it, it's really interesting what you said there because one thing I definitely caught because you highlighted it at the start that both parents were at home. So mm-hmm. that part of it was good. So 
just tell me more about that because surely I guess the assumption is if both parents people tend to make the assumption if you have both parents at home you, there's no reason why you should gravitate mm-hmm. towards any of those because of course you have strong home upbringing and all of that they give those things why you should never why there's no chance of you straying away so just talk mm-hmm. to me how was how was more so in terms of your relationship with your dad or just your family how were you able to have that but still almost straight towards that side so for me it was hmm, challenging and i always use the word challenging and bring it into the the conversation for me to fully have this conversation i need to express like the real the real me that a lot of people don't know and i think I've probably having this conversation will probably be the right time to to express it. Um, So when I grew up, um, I have a number of siblings, but my biological father passed away when I was two years old. So when I was two, um, my biological father passed away. And during that time, I think until my mum remarried, during that time, like I was the most aggressive, the most aggressive kid. And I think we can attribute it from just having conversations with my mom when I was a lot older. Just like when there wasn't a father figure at home, you were uncontrollable. Right? So from two, I think she remarried wait, nine, when I was six. So from two to about four. I was this wild kid. I would go into, what was it, prep school, whatever it is, like, when she'll take me to a crash or whatever, always come back with a story. Oh, he's had another fight. Oh, he bit a child. Oh, he's done this wow. and he's done that. Um, I would even have, like, fights with my little brother, uh, my young, my, yeah, my little brother at the time. So it was just the two of us at the time. And just this overly aggressive kid, like, people come over and they're like, oh, we can't bring our kids to your house because, we don't know what's up with your child. Like he's always attacking them, blah, blah, blah. So from two to four, that, that, that was like my story at the time. And then when my mom remarried, I started to become a lot calmer. We had a, a father figure at home, um, someone who would take me to the park, um, would do extra activities, et cetera, et cetera. Um, play a pivotal role. Um, and then there was a period, again, a period in life um where it was sort of removed um he would travel quite a bit for for business ventures so he wouldn't be home so the period when he wasn't there and it was just my mom running the household again i'll go on these wild ones and blah 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 just do whatever i needed to do and then it sort of became ingrained in me like um my mom bless her she was doing an amazing job still does an amazing job running the household by herself when um, my, my stepdad, you know, was, was away. But I, I called him dad because he, he stepped up. Like a lot of people attribute stepdads to, oh, they do this, they do that. He stepped up. He took, he took on two kids that weren't his own, married my mum and raised us like, like his own. Albeit, yes, there were things that you like and things that you dislike, but he still did the role. And that's where I think people, I'll probably talk about that a little bit later, but people need to, respect step parents a lot more because they're stepping up especially if they're marrying and then saying you know what i want to raise your children that they're my own children they're stepping up so 
they shouldn't be like disrespected unless they're doing you wrong they shouldn't be disrespected but let's go back to the conversation hmm, on yeah. fatherhood um, so in terms of that just growing up and then going through to secondary school again um, frequent the, the business meetings became a lot more and obviously as you're a teenager you're more attuned to things and you're more wide awake so for me it was a case of yeah my mom's doing a great job but you need that that male support that male figure to sort of guide you or support you like like they say boys always want to impress their dads and that that was it um you want to try and get their attention whether it's through doing football or whatever like you want them to to take you to sporting events and stuff like that and it wasn't really happening for me when i was going to these events um it was either by myself or with my friends so mm. It was a case of I was my own role model in a sense, but then I had role models like we had your older boys who were trying to take you under their wing and, and show you the way. And in a way, there's only so much a mother can do. Um, so for me, the olders were, yeah, come under here, come under my wing, and I'll show you this. And I'll teach, as they say, I'll teach you the game, whether it's the school game or life outside, they're teaching you a game. Um, just like, you know, Tariq said to Ghost, teach me the game, Ghost, you know. So. It was a case of <laughs> they're teaching you the game. And um, that's, what, um, that's what drew me to that side of things. Yeah, he would be home when he was home, but then you would have this resentment, like you're always away, but you're not here doing what you need to be doing, like the important stuff at the time. Um, and that was for me, you know, that's what, that's what I needed at the time. So we would have a lot of, back and forth so our relationship is like it's, it's great now we talk about a lot of things and we remember all the old times but at the time that growing up there was a lot of tension so there was a lot of headbutting there was a lot of when I was getting like in trouble at school my praise when I was get, doing good I wasn't being praised as soon as I was doing something wrong onto me and that's what caused that friction and yeah. um, we would have a lot of debates and arguments and whatnot. Um, so that's what was like pushing me away from from home life but at the same time um what did keep me grounded you know and if we're talking about experiences what did keep me grounded was going to church so as much as we have this earthly father that we were given we have a heavenly one um so that was also the other side of me you know as if we go back to the the earlier part of the conversation where i was saying um you have to carry yourself a certain kind of way I didn't always fit into that mold as much as I'm six foot three, whatever, and six foot at the time and probably taller than a lot of teachers at the time. And they felt threatened by me. That wasn't who I was at the core. Like what my spiritual father and my earth, um, my heavenly father taught me was to be kind and to be nice. And more so than anything, I wanted to use my stature, my height, because I'd seen how the aggression could lead to damage. I wanted to use it to, help and protect people so mm. again there's different types of fathers and we'll, we'll we'll get into that when you ask me that question because I've got you know a little resource for you that you'll be able to take away that's you know helping me prepare me for that journey as well it's interesting you said it like that because I think what I like the phrase I don't know if you intended to use it that way but stepdad steps up mm. Mm. and that in itself I've just been thinking through it and it's so important because I think there's this like you said there's this stigma towards kids and having stepdads and 
that lack of appreciation but you talked about hindsight that's mm. that's the that's the main important thing so now because we right now start to realize come to my attention that we actually have listeners on this that are in the age of 16 and younger so the parents are sending it to their kids mm-hmm. and with that being said i know you highlighted upon it a bit where you said that student, um, young people should be okay to accept and respect pay respect to the stepdads but mm. how do you if you could growing up how could you best navigate that relationship yeah that's you know again it's a great question because at the time again like if you're 16 15 14 whatever and you've got this new figure coming for me it was it was great that he was there earlier mm. and then he was you know so about what six years old he was he was there present in my life so he's there early so for someone who's coming in fresh let's say a stepfather comes in when you're about 12 13 or even a bit older um it's hard you know, even us as mentors, when we go into schools, when we went into schools, we're not received straight away with oh, yeah. open arms by everybody. Meditation. Some people, yeah, they, they embrace you straight away. They're like this new person, blah, blah, blah. They're not trying to steal anything from me, blah, blah, blah. Um, and then you've got those that are reserved and they're just watching you. So what I would say is always watch um, and be mindful, but also be open-minded because you don't know what that person can bring. With the watching and analysing, you have to watch and analyse because you might be used to a certain pattern with your biological father, whether he's still present or whether, like mine, he passed away and now someone new is coming in. Um, But you also have to respect your mother's decision because she's either moved away from something that was potentially damaging to you and trying to move into something that's possibly new to you. that's going to be more beneficial. So you have to, I know you're 13, 14, you're thinking, why do I need to pay attention to this? Because you have an influence on that relationship. Um, if, you're not, if you're not open, if you're not able to see that person for, for who they are and what they bring in, then it could be a detriment to your relationship. And I always say this to young people, yeah, um, people firstly come in with good intentions. So take them for their good until they prove to you that there's something wrong with them or something that you don't gravitate towards. Mm. Don't attach anything negative to anyone. Always go in with an open mind. It doesn't matter what you've heard. Like everyone can always say something about someone, but always go in with it with an open mind. And you see what the person's character is like. And I know at 13, 14, we're not always the best judge of character sometimes. True. That's why our friends are not our friends from high school, are not our friends that we have now. They're just the friends that we That's had at the time. Um, but be open-minded and, and see. Like what I'll say to myself is, he's coming to your life and if he's putting in the effort to be part of your life, that's one sure sign that he wants to help you and better you and want to get to know you. If they're not wanting to get to know you or you feel like it's one-sided, then you've got question marks hanging over your head. But if they're showing that willingness, they want to find out who you are. They want to know what your interests are. They want to take you to the park or have a conversation. Then that's when you feel like, okay, this person's putting in the effort. 
and it's not just for me, but they're doing it through love for my mum. Again, like I said, the term stepping up, bearing in mind you're not their own. So if they want to get to know you, it means that they genuinely care, um, which is an important part, you know, that I would have told myself when I was younger, like they're disciplining you because they care. I don't like it when kids say, oh, yeah, but you're not my dad anyway. No, 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 no. Listen, if someone is stepping up to play a role that I guess maybe for me it's a lot easier to say because my biological father passed away and then someone stepped up to fill his role. Um, But if you can see it two ways. One, you've got two dads. Yeah, you've got your biological father and it might not have worked out with your mom, or you've, they've had to go their separate ways, which is what society is now at the moment. Um, you've got one on one side, and you've got another one who is, number one, trying to be a great partner for, you, for your mom, and wants to get to know you, and wants to play a pivotal part in how you grow as a person. So you've got, you've got two, and you can always draw, and this is how I see it, you can always draw experiences from, um, from both of them. You can always draw experiences from what you're learning and growing through. So you can always take the positive and negative. So one thing you can say is, well, when I become a parent, a father, uh, a mother, whatever it is, I'm going to do this differently to how I experienced it. And I'm going to do what they did because they've done it. Like I always have the conversation from the stepping up and um, my dad stepping up. If I was to meet a woman who had kids, I'll be able to step up because I know what it feels like to be in that situation, I could step up. Obviously, you would want to have your own from the get-go, blah, blah, yeah, blah, but I would know how, how, to, how to step up because I've experienced that. And that's, what, that's how I think people should approach um, being a stepdad. Look, one of, I think I've got a few friends now who are step-parents and they're doing an amazing job. Um, so, yeah, it's, this, and that's also where I got the term stepping up because just watching him and I was thinking, well, like, he didn't need to do what he did, but he stepped up and filled the gap that was left by somebody else. And that person is, the biological father isn't present, but he is because he's a stepfather. He loves his partner. He loves his wife. And that's his wife's child. He doesn't even see it like, oh, that's just hers. It's, he's embraced the role and said, that's my daughter. Like, we go together. Those are my daughters. Like, there's no, uh, that's, yeah. my step, that's my stepdaughter. No, no, no. That's yeah. my daughter. Without the word step, no, no. That's my daughter. Like, he brought her into the world. He's seen her grow. So, yeah, that's how people, people will, should address it. Even for me, like, when people say, ah, oh, and like, this is probably the first time I've probably aired it out publicly. I, I rarely do. Um, but for me, I never, I don't, I don't see him as my stepdad. Um, the world might see it that way. But for me, that's my dad. Like, yeah, there's, there's arguments and there's fights and there's bickering. But that's the only father that I've known. Um, barring my godfather, that's the only father that I've ever known. Like, he might not have given me biological cells or whatever, mm. but he's raised me um, good and bad. You know, he's been there, positive, negative, he's been there. There's not been anyone else. So, um, yeah. That, that's I think that's so important because I think that term it's interesting because the terminology stepdad can actually create a 
void or a gap between a developing that well. relationship. Mm. Mm. So it's it's interesting that you made you highlighted that because I had a few people because when you try to say, Oh, how's your dad doing? Like, no, that's my stepdad. You mean my stepdad? And already you can sense from the way they talk mm. mm-hmm. that there is almost a refusal to accept, wholly accept mm-hmm. person as a father. Because I know everyone is different in terms of how much what level of growth they still need to go through and all of that but it's so important that you touched upon that i never really thought about it like that but now i'm just reflecting upon it because the terminology is actually can be a bit detrimental Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. or could very well be very much detrimental because there's that well phrases like well you're not my real dad yeah and but that being said now one of the questions um we said i said i told you we're going to cover is the terminology fatherhood mm. what does the term the, the word fatherhood what does that mean for you fatherhood for me is leadership so leading the way paving the way um fatherhood for me is being strong yeah even when there's moments that scare you that frighten you again you have to be strong which then again it's, it's sort of a filter to, to leadership. You have to lead the way, even when you're not sure of the outcome or you're afraid about a certain thing, you yeah. can't show that fear in front of those that you're leading. Um, yeah, you can be transparent and say, well, look, I'm not sure what's going to happen. And you, and you tell them and you're open about it. But you have to be able to, to lead the way. I've, I've not, I know there are plenty of fathers that they're fearful but they don't show that fear mm. and some do unfortunately some do and when you show that fear people play up on it so when i say people like children and whether they're your children or someone else's children again something i'll touch on a little gem i'll touch on to you on, on later um they will play up on it and they'll call you out on it but if you're able to navigate that and lead and then show how strong you are, even though you're fearful, I'm not saying strong, be strong and hold your emotions and not express it. Yeah, there's people you can express it to, like have a circle where you express, ah, oh, you know what, I'm fearful of this situation. I don't know how to handle this situation, but I've tried to navigate it the best I could. What would you do? Or what can I do next? What are my next steps? Have that circle, whether it's with your partner or whether it's with a group of friends who are in a similar position as you have it there. But when you're leading, you lead the best you can. That's just, just how I see fatherhood, you know, um, leadership, being strong, and then being that pivotal point. I think the way I've grown up and the way I see things is as much as the mother keeps the home, makes the home, <clears throat> the father plants the seed, the mother births the seed father brings home the food the mother prepares the food so you have to bring gifts that your wife your partner can then grow so you're that pivotal point you're the one that has to have the vision and then have your partner who will then enlarge the vision who support the vision that's how i see fatherhood so being being that leader being that person with the vision being that person that's strong um, whether it's spiritually, mentally, physically, you know, you've got to be able to, to handle emotions, especially when, again, 
if we're taking a stepfather situation where your stepchild says, yeah, but you're not my real dad. You've got to be able to be strong in that moment, even though it hurts you that they've said what they've said. You've got to be yeah. strong in that moment to say, I'm not going to let the emotions take, get the best of me. I'm going to understand where they're coming from, the pain that they might be feeling in this moment of time. I'm going to give them their time. I'm going to step away. And then I'm going to come in and speak to them afterwards and say, you know what you said? It did hurt me. I could have responded in a negative way. And then we could have had more tension. But I decided to let you have your time, come and speak to you calmly and find a way to rectify that decision. So being emotionally strong in that, in that, in that moment of time, being spiritually strong, so leading the family spiritually. I'm a, you know, as you know, I'm a very strong Christian and believe in it. And you have to be able to lead spiritually. Yeah. Um, because once they leave your door, um, it's something I've learned from Eric Thomas. Once they leave your door, mm. once they're out of your line of vision, unless you get a phone call, you don't know what they're getting up to. So you've got to be able to trust that your prayers are covering them and then you're trusting yeah. again in your heavenly father that he's looking after them. Wow. So that kind of brings me on to my next question because in terms of when you leave the door, that idea of maturity and stepping on to become your man, a man mm -hmm. of your own. Next question was actually more related, simply directly related to that. So, I understand you talked, hinted a bit on your relationship with your father, but what would you say you've learnt from your relationship with your father that you're planning to implement or you're already implementing? So for me, it's everything that I've said in the above, you know, from the previous mm. question. It's stepping up. Yeah. Like, you, you've got to step up. If something needs to get done, even if you don't know how to do it, you've got to find a way to get it done, whether it's in the house, whether it's... Um, your child needs help, like stepping up. Mm. Um, what else have I learned? I would say just, you know, being strong. Definitely being strong in terms of, you know, you don't need to be like, have a great big physical structure, but being strong in terms of holding firm to your beliefs. Yeah. Um, being able to say no, you know, for me, being able to say no, not just to your child, but to, to, to your partner, even when you feel like they, you're, you know, as they, the saying says, more times than not, your wife always wants something. You, so you've got to be able to say no, because they mm. don't need everything that they want. So you, the ability to say <laughs> no. I've hurting a lot of people with that one there. No, but it's true. <laughs> it's true. Even, to your, even, even to, to, to your children, you've got to have the ability to say no, like being strong. And then, but then justifying, not just saying no for the sake of saying no, but justifying it. Um, I know that the saying in the Bible is, if a, a child asks for bread, what father is going to give them a stone? Yeah. yeah. But you need to be able to say no, because not every time that they ask for bread is when they need bread. And bread could be um, an image for anything. So they might ask you for a phone, but they don't need a phone in that current moment. They might need to focus on their studies. So being able to say no, I know we, I spoke about wives, but I'm going to leave that for another thing because we're talking about fatherhood. Yeah. But being yeah. able to say no, like, and that's, that's, that's one of those things like, oh, like, dad, I want to go to this party. No, mm. <laughs> you can't because going to that party is not important. Being able to separate when you say yes and when you say no, being able to discipline. So what I've taken away is being able to discipline. I've learned how to discipline, but I, what I'm going to take away is also how to be in 
relaxed. I think he's become more relaxed as you get older and you're able yeah. to have different levels of conversations. Um, but I would say, yeah, um, what I would definitely implement early on is not to be too rigid. <laughs> not to be too rigid. Okay, yeah. so now, that, that being said then, of course, you're not yet a father, but you will be very mm-hmm. soon. So, Actually, I can contradict that. I can contradict oh. that. And I don't know, and I know where, where... What are you contradicting? The, the question I just asked. Yeah, Father. so I'm not... Oh, okay. Technically, no, I'm not, I'm not a father. No, you're oh, right, okay. I'm not a father. A father in that sense. I don't have my own kids. However, I am yeah. a godfather. Okay. Um, also, I don't know if you can see this book that I have in my hand right here. So it's a Husbands book by Derek. Derek Prince, Husbands and Fathers. So okay. we're going into the question, how am I going to prepare myself into Absolutely. being a father? I'm not, not jumping the gun, but you said I wasn't a father. So I just wanted to, to touch on this book. The reason yeah. why I said I'm going to contradict you a little bit is not because I'm a godfather, but also because in our role when we were mentors, yeah. um, we actually took on the role of being someone's father. Yeah, for a few of the, yeah. They're, they're, they're not our children. Absolutely. We know that. But when they were in our presence, they needed certain things from us that we could give them. Mm. And, you know, Derek Prince touches in this book, and I love this book, and this is one of the ways I'm preparing to be a better father to my own children, but also to like, my godchildren. Um, in that sense, it's, they're different type of fathers. There are godparents, biological father, a spiritual father, which is our heavenly father. and then we also play a part, whether we like it or not, we play a part. All the interactions we have, especially to people who are under a certain age or who look up to us in a certain way, we play a role. Like we're role models, but we're also father figures. Mm. So a lot of the children we work with were single parent households, we know that, whether it was just a mom or just a dad, whatever it may be. So we played an important role. And Derek Prince, so from the, the learnings, Derek Prince spoke to me about, you know, how we're the father to the fatherless. So some whose fathers are not active or present in their mm-hmm. lives, especially the kids that we work with, you know. Um, I know you know the story of the, the child who said, oh, sir, you've been to more games than my dad's been. You're, you're, like, you're like my dad, yeah. you know, when, when they said that to me. And that's when I read the book and he described it. I, I should have uh, highlighted the, the section, but I'll find it and email it to you. Was mm-hmm. we're the father to the fatherless, and we need to step into that role and teach them things that they may need to teach, <clears throat> uh, they may need to learn. Um, I also had another student who said, Ah, oh, sir, like the way you carry yourself is it, so powerful. Um, can you teach me how to pray? And I yeah. thought, Wow. Um, what do I do in this situation? Like, but they saw me that way. They saw me as their father without even saying. Yeah. And it's not, it's not, I didn't feel pressure and I don't feel, think people should feel pressure when young people see you that way. It means that you're doing something that they gravitate towards, something that's missing in their life and you're being that positive influence. Some people will have a negative influence. We know that, but when you're having a positive influence and someone says, oh, sir, can you teach me this or can you teach me that it's our place as fathers to teach them the things that they're missing or things that they may need for later in life which again in our year of city year we fathered a lot of kids yeah i know people laugh with the way i've just put it we fathered a lot of kids but we were in a place where we were role models 
we were mm. people that they saw on a daily basis bearing in mind again in society kids spend more time with teachers and people in school and their peers in school than they do at home give or take you know the holidays and um weekends if your parents are working during the holidays you're spending more time with your peers and then you're going to see the same teacher that you've seen for four or five years especially in secondary school yeah. who's going to be there present so you're going to gravitate to them towards more you're going to probably tell them a lot more than you might tell your parents um so that's where the gap is that where where father so yeah i've <laughs> gone a little bit left <clears throat> but yeah how I'm preparing um my journey towards it again I'm losing my voice I should have put it's water okay, in it's it. real. <laughs> um yeah this book um Derek Prince and Husbands and Fathers so how to prepare myself to be a number one a husband um to my wife whoever she may be I know she might be listening on this call she may be listening to this call call him up <laughs> Um, but first and foremost, being a husband and then being a father. Um, mm. I first bought the book not to be preparing to be a husband, but to be a father. Um, just because I had uh, godchildren. I've got two, yeah. two beautiful girls that are my godchildren. I miss them dearly. This quarantine, man, I'm going to go see them. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I took the book to be the best spiritual father that I could be um, for them. Because it's an important role that I've got. I cover them in prayer um, as much as I can't be there physically, um, especially given that they're in Paris as well, because um, I can't there be there spirit, uh, physically. I have to be there more so spiritually, so guiding them spiritually, and then also knowing that if they need me, that I'm going to be there, whatever the situation, whether it's hard or it's <clears throat> it's a good situation that I'm going to be there to 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 support them. So yeah, that's how I'm preparing it. Um, <clears throat> City Year also helped me prepare. You know, everyone knows who my child was at City Year. I'm not going to say no names, you know. Mm. And and that that was a that was one of those roles that helped me grow massively. Um, I approached it with this person is my child, and if I was her father, what would I do? How would I guide her? Um, again, see, giving it all away, like, giving it all away. Okay. How 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 would I guide? How would I guide them? How would I help them in their situation? Um, what can I do? So yeah, that's where the book has has helped me in that sense to do that. <clears throat> appreciate that. Appreciate you sharing that. And I think this is the this is the purpose of this podcast as well to help people prepare and not <clears throat> just be, wake up one day. Oh, their fathers or their husbands and. They, they're just rambling their head, how do I fix it up? And it's about preparing because from the very first episode, I know when I started this, everyone, I got so much messages, everyone asking, wait, you've got a kid? Who is it with? When did, you, when did, when did that happen? And all of that. The mm -hmm. first assumption, of course, I guess with the title, Journey to Fatherhood, a lot of people just first thing was, oh, you've got a kid. But as mm -hmm. people start to understand it, I'm trying to explain to people that like I said in the very first episode, if you haven't watched it, make sure you go and listen to it. I mean, a lot of people train to become doctors. You see people go to medical school and all of those things study to become doctors. But how many people actually study and train to become fathers? And I love the fact that you're taking a 
practical step in terms of studying, but also even implement it in the relationships you had. Because most godfathers, they may not, everyone's different, but you're taking, clearly you're taking that responsibility very highly. Mm. And it's important because already you're stepping into that, that of um, responsibility as a father. And like you highlighted, the book is talking about how you need to prepare yourself in terms of being able to understand the various things that and the roles that you have in people's lives. And I'm happy that you really made that point in terms of how you can be a father to many. So um, like the joke you made about through City or how we fathered a lot of kids through it. Mm. But it's so important because it, it reminds us that there are people that generally look up to men, a lot of men as father figures, and sometimes they don't even know it. Mm-hmm. So that's also, whilst it's an amazing thing, it's also a scary thing because mm-hmm. it also means that if you mess it up, the idea, the connotation, if they already don't have, not to put so much pressure on you, but just to let you know that you do have an influence because some kids may be coming from a home that there is a father that is not a great relationship or there's no father. Mm-hmm. So they're, they're looking for who can I gravitate towards as a father figure. So it's important to understand the impact that we have as men out there and I'm really, really happy that you highlighted that. So my next question is then, what's your advice to current fathers? And I know a lot of people say, how can you give an advice if you're not a father yourself? But with respect in thinking back to it and with everything you've learned, life experience, what advice would you give to current fathers? Be present, be there. You know, as much as, as you said, and rightly said, I'm not, a father to my own children that I've birthed into the world. Um, but even when I just spend time with my godchildren yeah. and then when they're away from me, I'm thinking like I have pictures of them and I have them as my screensaver and people are like, rah, like, is that, are they yours? Mm. I'm like, no, 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 no. Those are not my girls. Those are my godchildren. That's my goddaughter. That's like, and I, w- I would always say that's my daughter. The first thing I say is I remove the element of goddaughter. I just say that's my daughter. Um, and they think, whoa, when did this happen? Again, similar to you, when did this happen? Blah, blah, blah. And then I just go through the story of explaining it to them. And even now, like, I just miss them and I'll, I'll FaceTime them every now and again. But it's be, like, one, high, one thing that I've seen, especially through my friends, is be present. Because when you're present, they're going to remember so much of that. They're going to cherish that. When you're present, there's less... I don't know if there's statistics, there's less likeliness of them straying down the wrong side of the path and staying on the right, right path. Because mm. um, they know, right, dad's going to keep me in check. Dad's here. Dad's supportive. Dad's encouraging my steps. Oh, dad's taking me to basketball or dad's taking me to gymnastics. Dad's taking me to karate. Oh, dad's, dad's present at, at dinner. Like he's taking, he's listening to me what yeah. a lot of and from experiences of working in the school what a lot of children want is for someone to listen to them what we tend to not do is listen to our young people they have a lot of brilliant ideas oh, they have yes. wonderful minds they're probably as much as we think yeah because we're older and we've seen certain things we know the answers we don't know but they can see like a lot of people would say our oh, generation social media generation show, uh, internet blah 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 but they see things that we don't see because they're on the ground, they're experiencing certain things that are being given to them. So yeah, it would be be present, um, take an active interest in their lives 
what they want to do, what they want to achieve. Uh, I would also say don't overextend yourself. And it's very, con- it's not, it's Explain not that a bit. anything. I wouldn't say, I would say don't overextend yourself in the sense of know your capacity. So don't just bring children into the world for the sake of bringing children into the world. Know okay. your capacity. I know a lot of people are like, yeah, I want to have X amount of children. Um, mm. When you have too much, it then slows down your capacity. That, listen to the fathers and, and partners and the partnerships that have multiple children and everyone's getting the same amount of love and everyone uh, feels welcomed and loved. Hats off. Um, but in this current moment, and I speak highly for the older generation because they could do that. They didn't have many distractions. We live in a time now, and I'm speaking to people that want to become fathers. Know your capacity. Um, know how much you can extend your love because it's not just once the children come in, it's not just going to be your child, it's going to be your wife as well. It might be your nieces, your nephews. Yeah, they're not yours, but you play an active role in their lives as well. Um, and know how you can extend yourself. Don't overextend yourself. A lot of parents get into a place where they overextend themselves and then they rely on their oldest child to help them parent their youngest child. Mm. And that puts a burden on the oldest child because then the oldest child no longer will may not have their identity anymore yeah. and they get lost in, well, I've, helped, I've always helped with this and I've always helped with that. I'm not saying don't, don't, rely, don't work as a community to raise, raise children. It's great, but don't overextend it to the point where it's the child doing the raising and you're just a parent because you're a parent, because you've got the title. Don't rely on just a sibling to take the other sibling to training when in reality, yes, it's great for them to bond, the right. siblings to bond, but that child may need mum, that child may need dad to say, oh, you've done well here, you've done well there. That's, when, that's where my point of don't overextend yourself, where you're putting someone else in a role of parenthood before they need to be a parent. Does that make sense? Is it, is it yeah, clear? it makes a lot of sense. And I think I could relate it to my one thing that my older brothers definitely experienced. I, on, I completely agree with that. Because I think from my personal experience, it got to a point where not if it's a good thing or a bad thing, but it got to a point where I had that kind of lack of strength, intimacy with my brother because it was almost my eldest brother. I'm the third out of five. So my eldest brother, he almost started to have to take that role as playing that father figure. And it was almost started seeing as not so much of a brother my age or brother that I could talk to about stuff. It almost felt like, well, he's on the same level as mom. That kind mm. of thing. Well, okay, can't really. And he even could even sense that he had to, I'd always say it sometimes, like we thank God that we're able to build that relationship again now. But it's one of those things where I think that he grew up way too quick. He had to grow up way too quick. Mm-hmm. And there was never really like, oh yeah, brothers, brothers. Blah, blah, blah. And I completely understand what you mean. And it's so important that that point is, stre- is emphasized because I think that's why I really wanted to dig deep, deep within it because overextension is something that it's also in terms of reality and actually planning. Yeah. I, I think a lot of people, like everyone's ambitious and always is ambitious. But it's in terms of factoring things into it and all those things are very important. And yeah, that's a very big one. 
overextension because it has a long-term effect. It does, because then, you know, it prevents you, why I say that, it prevents you from being present. Mm. Because let's say you have five children and they all have a two, three-year age gap. You've got one that's going to be 16 and then you've got one that's possibly going to be 10. Mm. When are you present for the 16-year-old and then when are you present for the 10-year-old? Yeah. If one's got football on the east end of London and then one's got gymnastics because it has to be in West London, where are you going to split your time? Who, who are you going to be present for? Mm. And then that's just two. You've got three others in the middle in between that or yeah. at the other end of it who also need your time, your affection, your support, your presence. When are you going to, to be there for them? Yes, when you're 16, you might need it a little bit less, providing that you had it enough when you were younger. But then what about, again, this is why a lot of people say, term the, the one, the middle child always is the one that goes missing because they're not, the parents are not present because they have to give the needs enough support, just enough for the oldest yeah. one, but give so much for the youngest one because the youngest one needs it. And then the middle child, sometimes doesn't get enough or doesn't get anything at all because um, the parents can't be present for everybody. They can't cater to everybody. And that's where overextension. And I, I say that um, for myself. I say that for, for other people who are middle children, like that, that middle ground, like where is my presence needed? type thing I did everything by myself <laughs> a lot of the things I did I took myself to training I took myself to this so I speak from from that perspective of a lot of the things I did yeah, yeah my mom my mom's trying to be present for everybody my mom one of the key things for my mom is she tries to be present for everybody but there's only so much you can do when there's so many people you need to be present for um, especially if they all you're going to find your children all have different interests like I said, one's got gymnastics, one's got football. Which one are you going to prioritize? But I guess, I guess the point then, okay, if, if for, because we're talking about current fathers right now. Mm. So what about fathers that already, let's say, they already have those large number of kids? So mm. how do you really, you can't, you can't go back in time. But in terms of, of how, I know this is talking from a current, this is again where it's, it's a very, interesting way approach because we're not currently fathers in terms of we've emphasized mm. that but how would you how can someone really address that issue if already there are loads of kids around in the house and you're already struggling to extend yourself um one thing i've also learned is like in terms of being a father is and i've learned it from you know our great mentor at at our school, you know, everybody's mm. either granddad e. or uncle. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, even from my own personal experience at home, if, if it's like that, create family time. So have something that's missing in society now anyway is someone said the other day, we're missing those Sunday dinners where everyone used to sit together at the table, mm. no phones, and we're just having conversations as a family. We're, reflecting on the week or preparing for the week ahead we're having those conversations as a family bring it together that would be my advice 
like bring it together whether it's once a week twice a week the more you do it um do it enough so it's meaningful but not too much that it becomes boring or it becomes tedious but bring everybody together so whether it's um for us it's like wednesday night we know wednesday night between seven and to about eight thirty we're coming together as a family we're going to either read the word or we're just going to spend family time no phones no tv no distractions we're going to spend that time together we're going to talk to each other we're going to find out what's happening in a week what do we need to pray over um what do we uh, need to discuss as a family do we have any projects that we can all help one another where we can enlarge it and grow okay how are we going to buy this property or how are we going to develop this project how are we going to help um this family over there with their situation so bring it together like if you have loads of kids or a big family that's what i would say is okay wednesday put a time in your calendar your phone you leave it at the door everything we're switching off the tv we're sitting together and we're going to have that intimate moment and then that presence will be felt even if you can't support them say one's got gymnastics and one's got got Dad would always bring us together, let's say, or mom, dad will bring us together on a Wednesday night. We'll sit and we'll discuss, okay, so how was gymnastics this week? What can you tell or share with the family about gymnastics rather than everyone going into their own little corners, doing their own little thing, bring yeah. everyone, everyone together. Um, that's, that would be my advice based on what I've, I've learned and what I've grown. Um, of course, it will take time for it to become normal practice. Mm. But once it's embedded, trust me, it will become stronger because then people again as you learned from our sharing circle that we did with the year 11 the interventions we did with the year 11 yeah the more we brought them together and had that intimate moment together the more they started to share the more they started to express the more open they became and then the more we were able to pour into them at first it was um let's say us trying to pour water into them and them just throwing the water out the jug and mm. not taking it in. The but the more they open. came together, yeah. And then the more they came into the setting, the more water was retained within them, and the more they became open to the idea. Hence, the the results we got with our students who were predicted use or low grades ended up getting higher grades than the school predicted them, and even probably to their own imagination at the time before the intervention. So. Yeah, that would be that would be my advice. No, that's brilliant. That's brilliant. And I think just to make that emphasis again in terms of being present, I'm sure I'm I'm sure that you definitely need not just physically, but also mm. present in their lives. Because yeah. people need to understand that there is a difference between people saying, Well, I'm always home and all of these things, mm. but how present are you in their daily activities in a child's life and getting to know them? But yeah, it's been it's 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 definitely been something that keeps on being highlighted as the day goes by because I'm more alert to these conversations now, especially with the podcast going on, and I'm seeing so much. Like you see, so many kids, their behaviors are cry out for help, and it it's, it it hurts to see a lot of them being pushed away because they just feel a child doesn't just wake isn't born and just becomes this or that. It's again comes down to being listened. You say a lot of them just want someone to listen, listen to them. And it's so important that you said that. I think before we wrap up, I just want to make sure that people know the recent book that you've written. And this book right now, COVID or not, 
it's still moving. I ordered mine yesterday, and as I told you, and I screenshotted it and sent it to you. And just give us a, a bit, a bit of a description into the book, the title, and the inspiration behind it. So the the book is called. It's still part of my series called Thoughts in a Pen, which is like a poetry series. Um, mm. This series is called Letters Two, and it actually stemmed from a conversation I had with one of my students last year. So yeah. For those that we, we've been working, we did the city year three years ago. So the mentees yeah. that we had that were in year nine finished last year. Yeah. And we went to uh, pick up their results. And mm-hmm. the conversation was like, what advice could you give me? And I thought, it just birthed an idea of, let me write letters to my former self. Like, what would I tell myself when I was younger um, that I would need to know? And then, translate it into the young people I work with. What might they want to know? So it was conversation, it was personal experiences, but also conversations that I've had with young people that really created the book. And the book is really, it's a mixture of poetry and a mixture of just prose. So where you're just having, you're writing something, but in the terms of like, you're having a conversation with someone. Um, Mm. And it's, it's a book to like guide, not just young people, on their current mindset or where they are and to be open-minded but also a book that you can give to parents teachers mentors where they can read it and understand the mind of a young person i know it's written by someone who isn't a young person i'm throwing air quotation marks for people who can't see it um it's a book where i've used the experiences of young people like a lot of the poetry i write is more time experiences from young people that I'm able to translate into a book. Um, So it's going into their mind, entering their mind and saying, okay, so they might be feeling this at a certain time and how can I navigate this path and how can I, you know, help them with the situation that they're going through. Um, A lot of the poetry also delves on self-reflection and, you know, in the period that we're in, a lot of people are doing a lot of self-reflection. So there's a, a section at the end of the book where you can write letters to yourself or things that you might have wanted to to say to a younger you or someone who's similar to where you were a few years ago what could mm-hmm. I tell them and then also write letters to your future um there's also a, a, like I did a special edition in a separate section where I write letters to my future and I write letters to my present so I write letters to people who've inspired me and impacted what I've done I write yeah. letters to my future children. So there is actually a section in my book about future children, what they could expect from me as, as a father, as their father. Um, and yeah. I love the sound of that. And I think yeah. for you guys, because I know right now, maybe you don't, if you listen to this right now on the, on the day it's been published, you may not have access to the book, but let me read a, a brief description that comes along with the book, the blurb. So listen carefully. It says, do you ever wonder what life would be like if you gave yourself advice from the reality you are living? What would you say to yourself in the past if you had a chance? What decisions would you change or would you change your decisions? Thoughts, ad, thoughts and a pen, letters to you, gives you a chance to reflect on your life at present. It gives you the opportunity to also write letters to your past to your future and to others. The book is designed as a tool to mentor young people, 
to guide those more experienced and to allow for you to gain the insight into the minds of the young people who helped shape the content within the book. It can serve you as a parent, as a teacher, as a mentor, but also it can help you make better decisions. View life from different perspectives as a young person, regardless of your age. Honestly, when I read that yesterday, I was like, this is it. It's got everything that you really, it just, it just makes so much sense because it's not just focused on the present or the past, but the future. And again, the process to the future. Mm-hmm. So it's, I also like the fact that you made it clear that it's, it can help various categories of people, parents, teachers, or just mentors, because someone fits into that category. Yeah. Anyone can be a mentor to someone. You can have a teacher, educational teacher, or just in terms of training in some way. And a parent, like you said, we are fathers to many. And we are parents yeah. to many. Exactly that. But with that, honestly, I think what I think what everyone listened to this because it comes out, it's coming out this Friday. You're listening to it on Friday. We are going to be having our live stream on Saturday, where myself and Asa are going to be on live stream at Journey to Fatherhood podcast Instagram Live. We're going to be there. Be, make sure that you, by the time you listen to this podcast, you have your notes ready, you have your questions ready, because we are going to be live. Feel free to send it to me directly, and we'll ask it on the live stream. But Honestly, this, this conversation with you has taken turns that I didn't expect. I think this is why I'm so happy that we had a conversation, not an interview. Yeah. Because with a conversation, it's just fluid. Yeah. You just let it flow. And how can people get, get in contact with you? Socials so and me, way of contact. Social media um, would be, my Instagram is at a humblefella. So when you spell fella, you spell it with a F E double L A. So it would be A H U M B L E F E L L A at humble fella. Um, even emails. So my email is asa.lutu at gmail.com for those who, you know, want to ask different questions or stay away from socials, don't have socials. Um, you can get in contact with me through there as well. That's amazing. And just to remind you again, the book, recent book release, you can find on Amazon and order it directly from Amazon. Thoughts and a pen. Letters to give. And it, it's just thoughts and a pen. It's because you had this concept from uni, from when we were in City Year. City Year, yeah. I remember That's you where, started. This is where all this, yeah, video, I did a video series. Um, yeah. unfortunately I had to take it down a little bit I do have a video series I'm on, it's, still, it's still up I just had to put the page on private for a little bit whilst I did my, um, my teacher training uh, my training provider didn't allow for us to have like a, a social media presence okay. um, but it could potentially be back up because my I think my current employer is, is more than happy with how things are and making sure that the content is not so I've got a edit some of the content because you know mm. I use explicit not not to be not to be rude but sometimes it gets that message across you know expressive. When, yeah yeah you're expressive but you know so got to edit that a little bit but other than that um the new book is is there um the old one unfortunately actually has been taken down um I think that company might be going bust that published my first one so I might be publishing the first series back on 
onto Amazon if I can. Okay. So it might be a different edition though, because Amazon right. don't like don't like things that have already been published. So I might have to like change the front cover or something and make it a different okay. edition. But yeah. But see, that's the important. Re- that's why it's so important. All the listeners need to make sure they follow you at a humble fella at Instagram. That's on Instagram. So Instagram, it's important yeah. because when you follow him and also write him emails asa.lutu at gmail.com you can yeah. stay up to date and see what's going on but asa it's been an amazing it's been an amazing opportunity to just get to know you a bit more because some of the things we talked about like you said we, we haven't really talked about it mm. and i feel like i've known you this is a taking my understanding and knowledge of you even deeper and i really respect you for coming on the show and being so transparent no it's, i respect it i respect you great. and what you're doing i think this podcast is definitely needed. I think more people need to have the conversation in preparation to be a father. Even if yeah. you're a father already, like I spoke to a friend yesterday and um, on his Instagram, his son loves Spider-Man. Mm. And obviously we're in quarantine. So he ordered a Spider-Man suit in time for his son's birthday and dressed up as Spider-Man. And mm. if you saw the reaction of his son when he saw Spider-Man, it was priceless. And I said like, how are you so present, like, given your career and everything that you're doing, how are you so present in your son's life? And he just says, it's something that you grow with and you learn day by day. There is no script. You can be prepared. And the more prepared you are before it happens, the better you may be. It's not always the case. But sometimes, if, as they say, knowledge in your head is not knowledge until you're able to implement it and share it. So but do have a knowledge base that you can draw upon. Um, yeah. And he's constantly learning and growing. And it's just little things like that. Surround yourself with people who want to be good fathers as well. Um, so yeah, this, like, this podcast definitely is, is powerful. It gives people, an, as you said, an opportunity and an insight into different perspectives. Everyone mm-hmm. who's spoken on the podcast has given you a different gem that you'll take away. And I'm sure you'll speak to many more fathers or potential fathers in the future who will give you a different gem into how they're going to approach fatherhood, what they're doing to prepare. And the more you know, the better mm. equipped you are to handle the situation, which is, is definitely needed. You know, it's a conversation that's needed. A lot of people, again, like I said, you don't want to wake up and one day your partner says, oh, that like you're going to have a child. You then have nine months to prepare nine months is not a long time because nope. there are a lot of other things that are going to be going on in the in the background that's going to occupy your mind um, so the more you're prepared in advance and if you're listening to it as a father i'm sure there are tips and advice that you can still take away from from them that that's that's been incredible so thank you everyone for tuning in today this episode is brought to you by myself and asalutu And I just want to say thank you for consistently listening to the content. As always, please feel free to send in your requests of what more areas that you want to talk about more, you want to learn about more. We are going to be doing a live stream exactly on Saturday. So that's Saturday, 6 p.m. GMT time. So UK time, 6 p.m. And we're going to be having the live stream on the um, Instagram page, which is at Journey to Fatherhood podcast, the whole thing at Journey to Fatherhood podcast on Instagram live at 6 p.m. So make sure you tune in with your questions, send them prior hand if you want to, 
or send them during the live. But with that, Asa, thank you so much. And I look forward to our live stream too, brother. Thank you, thank you, thank you.